you aspire to be a superintendent, you think you know what the job might be like, but you may not really know. Bring together like-minded people. As well as organizations that are supporting school systems. And they bring the problem of practice with a group of people to talk through it, and then with vendors who provide solutions. And when you think about the notion of getting better, a lot of times people think that you're sick, but you don't have to be sick to get better. Having either that trusted network of colleagues when you're in practice or prior to practice becomes really important. That's what IEI does. Brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation where like-minded, hard-working professionals come to listen, learn, and connect. This week on Education Thought Leaders. All right, welcome to the Institute for Education Innovation's Education Thought Leaders podcast. I'm your guest host for today, Alexa Escobedo. I'm joined by the co-founder and CEO of Hop Skip Drive, which is a safe youth transportation solution for schools and families. Welcome to the show, Joanna. Thank you for having me. We're so happy you joined us today. So Joanna, you founded Hopskip Drive over five years ago, along with fellow working moms. How did this idea for a transportation solution come about? And how is the power of, as your site states, mom DNA, which I love, you should totally brand that. <laughs> how has that been foundational, like in the rigorous safety measures and attention to detail you have in your business model? Uh, yeah, so, you know, the the idea for Hop, Skip, Drive really came from a kid's birthday party. Um, I was standing around with a group of moms as the kids played, and we were talking about the mom challenges of, of the week. And that week, it happened to be transportation, and everybody had a version of the story. You know, I, I live in Los Angeles. I live on the east side of Los Angeles. There was the mom who had just gotten a new job on the west side, and she was super nervous about how she was going to get home in time to pick up her kids. There was the mom whose son had gotten into this great magnet school, but it was over the hill and in the opposite direction from where she worked. And she wasn't sure if he would be able to go because she didn't have a way of getting him there. Um, and then there was the mom who had, you know, one kid in dance and one kid in soccer at the exact same time. And she was ripping her hair out, trying to get back and forth and, and make it all work. And I just was, you know, I was feeling very guilty that I couldn't get my son to karate on Thursday at three o'clock because I was working. And I just said to everybody, you know, we should throw money in a hat and buy a van and hire the stay-at-home moms in the neighborhood to drive our kids around. And I was joking. Um, and my co-founder, Janelle, looked at me and said, oh my God, I'm dying. How do we do this? And we started meeting at her house on Sunday mornings. You know, the kids played in the other room and we mapped this out at the dining room table of what could this look like. And our, our third co-founder, Carolyn, soon joined us. And, you know, we really thought like Hop Skip Drive really started as a solution for families and particularly families with working moms, um, where it was really just about how we could solve our own problem as, as parents. And I think, you know, the mom DNA comes from the idea that safety was always at the foundation and it's how we designed all of the technology, all of the service, all of the operations. That's everything from, you know, who a care driver is to all of the safety features and the safe ride support technology that kind of monitors a ride. Um, because we designed everything with, you know, the question in mind of like, what would it take for me to see Jackson or, you know, to put Jackson or Sam in a hop, skip drive. And really we built everything around that. And, and that's, you know, when we found that what we had built was really extensible to school districts, that safety was really a part of it. I think we've really, um, taken safety into the future and in the way that school districts think about safety and student transportation, 
you know, sometimes it's really around the school bus. Um, and, and some of those, uh, some of this, the safety rules and requirements that schools follow are really around very distinct around the school bus, but we've really innovated on like, what does it mean to be safe? How do we use data to ensure safety? How do we hold ourselves accountable and how do we publish that safety data? I think we're the only ones in the the student transportation space that publish our safety data every year to hold ourselves accountable. And it's really about thinking about rules and regulations and thinking about safety in a a whole new way and and really thinking about it from kind of the, the perception of parents. Well, and I think what you're saying is so powerful because, I mean, we all have that moms out there that are listening. We've got that mama bear instinct, right? And it sounds like you kind of use that to to drive your decisions in this. Of You know, we talk about mom DNA, but it goes with the mama bear and really that safety piece. And you are speaking to every parent out there who, you know, maybe they are in this bind and they need a solution, but you need to know that your child is safe. And if the founders are willing to put their child in a, in a car with a care driver, that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. That's right. And the visibility, right? You can oh, yeah. know where your child is. You can see it. Um, you know, I think school buses are just starting to have that technology available, but we've had that from day one, you know, you know where your pizza is mm-hmm. uh, when it's on your way and when it's on its way to you, you should know where your child is too. Absolutely. That's so true. So, I mean, you've kind of touched on this, but the early days of hop, skip, drive, like I love that you wanted a van with stay-at-home moms to start driving. And so how did it kind of evolve and how did you start hiring your first care drivers and all of that? Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it evolved from, from Janelle's dining room table to, um, us, you know, really going out and putting our money where our mouth was and, and, and getting started and onboarding the first few drivers and and going out and, and really saying, you know, this is what a care driver is. They need to go through this 15 point certification process that we developed, um, that included fingerprinting. It included, uh, you know, car inspections, um, background, obviously background checks, including the fingerprinting. We required five years of caregiving experience because, uh, you know, the driving piece was important, but so was the caregiving piece. We wanted care drivers who had empathy and had good judgment and understand that, you know, sometimes a kid's going to get in the car and be super chatty and want to talk about everything. And other times a kid's going to get in the car and be really quiet and just need kind of some time to themselves to transition out of, out of a hard day. And, you know, with a lot of the work that we do with, with school districts, we drive, you know, we, we, provide transportation solutions for a lot of students who um, have experienced trauma, who are you know, experiencing homelessness, who are in the foster care system, and, and they need a little bit more empathy than you know, just a, a CD. A, a, being a driver that has a CDL license doesn't really qualify you necessarily to have good judgment and empathy when it comes to kids. And so for us, that five years of caregiving experience was, was super important. Yeah, that seems like a huge differentiating factor in this because you're right. I mean, you get into an Uber and you don't know what kind of driver you're going to get. They're going to be super chatty or just sit there and listen to music and being able to read the person that comes into the car, especially as a child, you know, you want them to feel comfortable. So that's, that's really cool. Um, So how was the pandemic, you know, the last two years, you started this business right before a year or two before, right? And so how, how did this all evolve? you know, and how did you have to modify your services to kind of meet those needs of the school districts as you started spreading out into districts? 
Yeah. Um, so we, we started the business in 2015 as a, as a consumer business. We started working with school districts really in about 2018. Um, and, and we're really seeing a lot of growth and really seeing that we had built a solution that made a ton of sense for districts. We had just launched I think five new markets in the 2019-2020 school year. And so, you know, we were growing, 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 and then schools shut down across the country in, in March of 2020. And so that was a it was a very difficult period. Um, and you know, we had to to do a lot of things and make a lot of hard decisions as a company. I think we knew we knew that all of the trends that we had seen in student transportation before COVID we're only going to be exacerbated by COVID. There's been a bus driver shortage for over a decade. Um, and, and we have seen now with COVID, you know, every district has some type of shortage from moderate to severe with, I think, you know, more districts saying that it's severe than, than ever before. And we're seeing things like states calling in the National Guard to drive school buses. Um, so we, we knew that that was going to happen. We also saw that, you know, uh, student transportation hasn't changed really in, in 40 years in that we've been using a one-size-fits-all model, which is the yellow bus, but education has changed so much. You know, we've had all this growth in choice and open enrollment and, uh, you know, federal mandates around students with special needs and McKinney-Vento Act for students with experiencing homelessness. And, and so it's not a given that all of the kids in this neighborhood are going to go to the neighborhood school. And it's not a given that you're going to be able to fully utilize a 72 passenger bus. And, you know, in fact, what we see is most buses are running around half full at best. Um, and, and that's why we have a bus driver shortage because we're just not, uh, you know, we're not being efficient. Um, so we saw all of that before COVID during COVID, you know, I think we, we modified right away. We came out, pretty early on, you know, going back to that mom DNA, we, we now thought about what is safety going to look like in a COVID world. We came out with our COVID safe ride standards pretty early on and, and um, added a public health expert to our safety advisory board to help advise us on that. Um, we helped districts with food delivery. We helped districts with laptop and device delivery. Uh, but really, we set about really working on our technology and building more of our optimization capabilities so that, you know, now we're working with districts on helping them optimize across their entire uh, transportation system. So, you know, a district that, that has 100 buses and has 80 drivers, they're already short, right? When you look at it holistically and don't just, you know, every, most districts do all of their route planning, do everything with the school bus first, then they figure out, you know, oh, these are the students that don't fit easily on a school bus. And so let's figure out what alternative models can look like for them. If you look at the whole thing, you may not need 100 buses. You may only need 60 buses. And, and you can manage all and, and, you know, and 40 sedans. But you can manage all of your transportation in a much different way. You can save money. You can get kids to school in shorter times. So you can reduce commute time. Um, and, and do that in a way that's better for the environment. So we, we really use that time during COVID uh, to start building towards all of that. Wow. And I just, personal experience, my sister-in-law, she's a, a special ed teacher. And I know at the beginning of the year when they were, their district was experiencing these shortages, 
I mean, her kids were getting to school like 30 minutes late. And so their day is already starting off in kind of a, a difficult way where you're feeling rushed and you don't have your normal and her students, they would have breakfast at school. So then they're rushing, trying to eat and all this. So I just think about your solution and what you're saying, the efficiency, you're not only helping the school district, you know, with the leaders that are trying to figure out the shortages, but the kids, you know, and I know that's what it all comes down to. And the kids and the teachers, you're getting their day started off on the right foot by having this sense of security, knowing I'm going to get to school on time and I'm going to get there in a, in a calm manner. (laughs) Absolutely. We, and we see that all the time. I mean, we see, we have quotes from, from social workers in districts and from transportation specialists in districts. You know, we, we had a student who had a pretty complicated, pretty complicated requirements, required a behavioral aid in the car, had different places that she was going, different days, different times. So it was very, very complex. And we heard two weeks after we started working with the student, we got a a call from the transportation director. They said, you know, we had a special IEP meeting where it was determined that she was doing so well. She was getting to school calm and ready to learn that we no longer need the behavioral aid. And that was removed from her IEP because of the consistency of the service. And so that goes back to, again, care drivers and who they are and and how our service works and how parents have visibility and they can see, you know, oh, the car is coming, it's on its way so they can get the child ready. Um, And so all of that, it is completely about the kids and how they start and end their day and, and, and are better able and ready to learn if they have a good experience in getting to school. Yeah, that goes that goes on the school bus side too. You see all these um, districts are because they have to because they have bus driver shortages. But what that means is that kids are now on the bus for an hour and a half, two hours. They're not showing up ready to learn. They're showing up cranky and tired and mm-hmm. and anxious. And so it really is important how a student gets there is just as important as what they do once they're there. Yeah. It's not just the logistics. It's the emotional piece of all of it. I mean, who wants to sit in an hour in your car? You know, we hate sitting in traffic. Why would a kid (laughs) want to just hang out on a bus, you know? Absolutely. Yeah, no, so many great points there. And I want to kind of jump. There was a a quote that I saw on your website and it was from a CASA worker, which is like a volunteer social worker here in California. And um, so the testimonial on on your site, it says, Hopskip Drive has been a huge asset to my CASA kid. She feels confident arriving at school in a car instead of a group home van. Your services, they just positively impact so many different groups of kids and probably more than you even realized when you started this. And you're just meeting all these different unique needs. And I just wondered, you know, what kind of impact has Hopskip Drive's reach had on you and the team when you're seeing these stories come back to you? Uh, you know, absolutely. It's, it's why we do what we do. Um, you know, I think even from the beginning, when we started the business as a consumer business, it was really about creating opportunity and access to opportunity. And it was opportunity for families, you know, opportunity for women to be able to thrive in their careers without having to leave work early to manage the logistics. It was for kids to be able to do more than they otherwise might be able to do because mom and dad just had no way of getting them there. And so it was always mission driven and it was always about creating opportunity. I think what we do now is so much more and it's really about creating access to equitable education and it's about creating 
opportunity. And I think, you know, we, we talk all the time at Hop, Skip, Drive. You know, I always say the difference between struggle and success can sometimes be as simple as the ability to show up. And sometimes a ride can be life-changing. And I think that's very built into the culture of our team. And I think it really drives a lot of people uh, to want to work here because we see the impact of what we are doing every single day. And we see it in the thousands of kids that we that are in hop, skip, drive cars across the country every single day. And so, uh, yeah, when, when you're going through really hard times, when you're going through COVID, like that is absolutely what keeps us going and, and what keeps us excited. And we share those stories constantly. Every week we have a town hall and we share stories. That's awesome. That's really cool. Because somebody in California might have no idea the amazing things that are happening, you know, on the East Coast where you're also working. Do you have any particular story that stands out to you that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I mean, I have a few, but the one that I always, <laughs> that always makes me uh, get very emotional is um, it was also with a, a CASA advocate who, you know, we, we had a, a, a we had helped Casa of Los Angeles get a grant from General Motors for free hop, skip, drive rides for their Casa U. Wow. And there was one kid, um, Randy, who was, despite a whole bunch of bad situations in her life, was thriving. And she was applying for a very prestigious scholarship, the Posse Scholarship Program. And uh, in the middle of that process, she moved foster placements. She was now living 35 miles away. And she was about to drop out of the scholarship process because she couldn't get to the interviews and she couldn't get to the events. And because of this program with CASA, her advocate was able to get her hop, skip, drive rides to and from the interviews. So she was able to stay in the process. She was one of 60 kids that year in Los Angeles who received a posse scholarship. She was the only foster child who received that scholarship. And she now has a full ride to the University of Wisconsin. Oh. And so that's where like a ride can be life-changing. And so that's where, when we, when we talk about creating opportunity through mobility, it really is mobility can be, lack of mobility can be a huge barrier to opportunity. Um, and so I just, I love that story because it is so, um, it, it is so representative of like what we are doing every single day. That's that's really incredible and really inspiring and really drives home that point of sometimes the difference is just showing up. That's that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, so going along those lines of you know, Randy, the student who now is at University of Wisconsin and can look back and hop, skip, drive, way to go, helping her get there. I just think about you know, the other students that have these opportunities to go to other schools, like you were saying before, where maybe it's across town and in LA, it's, you know, just even five miles can be an hour in traffic, totally exaggerating, but it can be a really difficult thing. So I'm sure starting in LA, you probably were able to kind of figure out a lot of issues in your own <laughs> home base before spreading out to other school districts. So what, how do you guarantee those rides are going to be on time? And how do you go through that process of setting up a driver with a kid? You know, do they stay with the same driver? Is it changing based on schedules? What's that like? Yeah, I mean, so we've built a ton into our technology. And I think starting in LA was really a, a, a blessing in disguise for us because we did learn so much about traffic and learn so much about um, how to schedule rides and how to 
uh, add in uh, barrier, you know, uh, buffers for traffic and, and things like that. You know, we our technology learns with every ride. And so every school, right, when, when we go to school, we learn where's the pickup and drop off for that school, right? Like, oh, it's actually on the south side of the school on this street, as opposed to even though the address is this. So our technology learns that and can update that for the next care driver that has to go to that school. Um, and, and we really focus on a consistent experience. So you, you will usually have, uh, the, you know, a small group of drivers. You may not always have the same driver uh, or the same care driver, but we really focus on creating a consistent experience. And we do that through the technology. We do that through um, pick up and drop off notes that caregivers and school districts can give for a particular location and for a particular child. So, you know, in the notes, you can you can put something like um, you know this child has sensory issues and needs to sit on the left side of the car. So whoever whatever care driver is picking that child up will know, you know, you need to sit on the left side of the car. Or you know, I'm not going to play music for you because the the notes say like please no music or, or whatever it might be. And so it's all about creating that consistent experience. That's amazing, and I love that so much of what you're doing is so relationship based. And it really is about building that bond between the driver and the kid. They're not just a chauffeur. Like you're saying, mm-hmm. there is that empathy that you need to have to be a good care driver. Yeah. Just, and, and Oh, go ahead. I think Sorry. that's, you know, care drivers are, are special and amazing people and they really love what they're doing. And these are, you know, they are predominantly women. You know, that's the other thing. We've seen so many women leave the workforce during COVID because they need flexibility mm-hmm. and, 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 opportunity like this gives them a flexible income opportunity that is safe for them. And what we find is that they typically are driving in the communities that they live in and communities where their own kids maybe went to school. And so it's kind of, you know, we're kind of, we've built a platform where we're kind of using the community to solve some of the community's own challenges. Um, And so these are people who, yes, they're looking for earnings opportunities, but they're really tied to the mission and they do develop relationships. You know, we've had care drivers who have bought prom dresses for students um, because they knew that they wanted to go to prom, but couldn't afford it. Um, And so we, we've, you know, it is very relationship based. That's amazing. And I think so important that it's the own community that's gathering together. That's how you make a long lasting impact, right? You don't just want somebody dropping in. I'm here for the five minutes doing it and then I'm out you know, somebody's going to be very invested in making sure that this is working if it's in their own community. That's really cool. So you kind of led me right into my, my kind of last <laughs> wrap up question. I love it. You're the best kind of guest here. Um, <laughs> so I would definitely be remiss if I didn't point out, I am sitting here interviewing a CEO of a female founded company on our show during the month of March. And I saw an article that you had posted on LinkedIn that said 82% of venture capital that was deployed in the U.S. last year went to male-only founding teams. As an investment partner with X Factor Ventures, what kind of change do you hope to see in the business world in the coming years? Yeah, it's a, that's a great question, and thank you for asking. So X Factor is a, a fund that is made up of a group of women founders, um, and we invest in other female founders. And so the idea is that you know, we see a lot of deal flow and a lot of uh, network because people are coming to us. Um, 
and and I'm always looking for you know for really interesting businesses, especially in the ed tech and education space because it's something that I'm passionate about. But you know, I do I think we need to see more change. We need to see more money going to women. We need to see more money going to people of color because when you look at um, at the you know when you look at returns and when you look at the returns of teams that have diversity on them versus teams that don't, they outperform. Um, and I think you know. I tend to see more women building to solve problems that they had. Um, and, and those problems are problems within the community. And, and I think that we're building, uh, we, we tend to be building um, solutions to problems that affect all of us very deeply. And that's something that I'm particularly passionate about. And so uh, we just hope to see even more money going in these directions. You are a great example of finding a, or having a problem and making a solution and helping other working parents. And as you pointed out, I mean, another fallout from the pandemic was so many working moms having to stop and, you know, focus on the family and flexibility there. And you're giving an opportunity for working moms to get back into it and have that flexibility, which is so cool. So even beyond the business piece of it, you're helping working moms get back into, mm -hmm. into that life. So that's amazing. Uh, as a CEO, what kind of advice do you have for any of your fellow women entrepreneurs out there listening? Yeah. Um, I, this one, um, is something I try to remember all the time because you can get quickly overwhelmed with so many different priorities and especially as a, as a CEO, who's also a mother, um, you can get very quickly overwhelmed. And, and this was advice that my cousin, who's a, a very um, impressive attorney once gave me when I, when I first had kids. And it's something I remember this day, which is you're just juggling a ton of balls. And some of them are rubber balls and some of them are crystal balls. And what you really need to figure out is which ones are the crystal balls and which ones are the rubber balls, because the rubber balls can bounce a few times and that's okay, but the crystal balls can't, right? So it's really about prioritizing you know, ruthlessly and making sure that you're not dropping the crystal balls. I think that can be great advice for any woman out there, <laughs> yeah. male or female, I should say, non-binary, everybody. That's fantastic advice for all of us listening. So thank you for that. Well, Joanna, I want to make sure you are a busy woman. I want to get you back to your things, but it has been an absolute pleasure getting to speak with you today. Thank you for joining us and thank you for all that you and Hop, Skip, Drive are doing to help the students, families, and schools that are in their communities. It's thank been great. You. <laughs> thank you so much for having me. Have a great one. This has been Education Thought Leaders, brought to you by the Institute for Education Innovation. The superintendents, we don't have peers in our we, You can have people who support you, but no one's that's yours. Talking about shared solutions, talking about collaborating at a very, very high level. So coming here kind of gives you a little rejuvenation, that little pick-me-up. Superintendents and vendors from across the country, and that the whole exploration and development of new partnerships is critical. 